This Off the Hazel podcast is now driven by Delari Nissan Regina. Nissan. And that's four birdies in a row for Drew Kocher to close out the day with a smooth 69, ladies and gentlemen. And would you look at that, Troy Kosher stripes one right down the middle on the wrong fairway. The Reverend can't drive, he can't hit his irons, and he can't putt, but boy can that guy drink. You're listening to Off the Hosel, presented by Nissan Regina. Now here's your host, Drew Kosher, and co-host, Troy McClure Kosher. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Off the Hosel. My name is Drew Koser, I am your host. This is episode 51 with another special guest on today. I'm joined by my brother and co-host, Troy Koser. Heyo! Perfect. No Dan uh, for the intro as of now. He, uh, we're hoping he shows up in the interview today because uh, we miss Dan and we love Dan. Um, but yeah, no Dan right now. But before we get going here, as always... Um, this is a Nissan-driven podcast. Great vehicles, great service, great people. We were just in there on the weekend saying hi to them, and they are happy, so we're happy to. Drive Nissan, located on 1111 Broad Street in Regina, Saskatchewan. Drive Nissan today. Also, recording live again at Divots Indoor Golf at 6823 Rochdale Boulevard. It's cold, though. Get yes, down here, swing the sticks, get warm. Call them at 306-206-1270. Visit him at www.divotsgolf.com. The old saying is, uh, play divots, don't make them. Boom. Boom. Well, we were lucky enough to uh, get around in this morning playing some golf. We both ripped it up, had a lot of fun. Troy, uh, off to the open forum. What is new? How's things? What is going on? Well, it, uh, it went from balmy weather for the past, I don't know, 10, 12 days to minus, I think it's minus 35 with wind chill this morning. She's chilly out. Yeah, when it's, I it's here. Winter's I, here. Yeah, I mean, I'm I don't actually don't mind if it's cold, but we can't have both. We can't have lots of snow and cold because the cold was a battle they did up this morning. It was freezing. Yeah, it's supposed to warm up here the later part of the week, but uh, yeah, no. I the mean, latter part. Later. So they say it in the latter. Later. But, but the latter part works too, right? Sure, it does. <laughs> uh, Christmas season's coming up. Um, it's kind of different this year, I think. I mean, it's it's definitely a covid christmas um yeah well and for people that don't know you turned the big 4-0 on thursday so the day after this this drops you'll be uh 40 years old milestone yeah, 40 wow that went fast <laughs> <laughs> well you look good for 40 though yeah i wouldn't think you're 40 but you're 16 years older than me so <laughs> yeah i yeah i 40 i just it's hard to say but <laughs> i mean hell i'm still here so that's a good thing yep um yeah we uh we got an early round of golfing this morning shot a smooth 75 i think i shot you were nine under which wasn't too bad yeah i played well today it was a lot of fun um let's talk quickly here about some pro golf as we have to and we, we want to so the pga last week uh was the the, the shootout qbe shootout yeah yeah shootout there i got to watch quite a bit of it i don't know did you watch any of it i, I did actually i watched quite a bit of it um 
it was nice because there was only what 24 golfers i think that's out there all it was yeah different setup that, that they have for that tournament uh it's a three-day tournament um yeah there's a uh, two-man scramble uh two-man best ball and i think both end up playing their, their their own ball as well so yeah a lot of different shots a lot of fun i before i asked you what your thoughts on the tournament was um you know i thought everyone played really well but it just shows how good you have to play on every hole because the especially when you're playing a two-man with the best players in the world uh you gotta make a lot of birdies and a lot of eagles well yeah and i mean matt kuchar and harris english so did a little bit of research on them they they ran away with the tournament they shot a a record minus 37 um between the two of them which breaks the mark that they set back in 2013 of minus 34. I don't know if you knew this, but this is the third time that Harris English and Matt Kuchar have won this tournament. Wow. So. Well, it is, if, it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, good golf. Uh, I actually like the pairings. Um, I don't know if you've seen on Instagram. Abe was doing a how-to video with Matt Wolf, which is kind of cool watching him how to do the. Uh, yeah. Sorry, our yeah. food just came. Our <laughs> yeah, food just there. came. Yeah, thank um, you. <laughs> yeah, no, Matt, Matt Wolf is teaching Abe how to do his little goofy swing there, and it's qu quite funny, actually. Yeah, it was, uh, well, just even how he was chirping, like, you know, you should hit it farther or, you know, hit it less, and Wolf's like, what do you mean hit it less? Like, you know, so those two guys kind of gelled. They didn't uh, end up playing overly strong. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, another fun, it was a different tournament, a lot of fun to watching those guys play. Uh, moving on, as you look it up on your computer now, the LPGA last week, I got to watch quite a bit of that as well. Um, you know, Brooke Henderson didn't play very well, to say the least, as she was expected to play well in the U.S. Open. It's a tough course. Um, but, yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, and as you're pulling up right now, I don't know. Did you watch any of the LPGA last week, Troy? Uh, honestly, no, I didn't. Okay. I, I did see on Twitter that, I thought Brooke was actually good after the first round, wasn't she? Wasn't I think she, she shot 73 the first day, oh, so that's not very good. That but tells you how much I watched. I'm just pulling <laughs> it up on the computer here now. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming you watched more than I did. Yeah, and, you know, there was some good scores. The course looked weird. There's a lot of um, dead spots around the whole the whole course. Like, it just looked not um, like your everyday, uh, everyday green golf course. What do you got there for us? Amy Olsen was the winner by one shot over, I'm going to try it, Hanako Shibuno. <laughs> Sounds right to me. Um, close. Like, if you look at the, the, the standings here, I mean, really. Uh, Where did Brooke finish? It was anybody's tournament. Uh, keep scrolling down, keep scrolling down, <laughs> keep scrolling down. Oof, doesn't look very good. Okay, there it is. So as I was, I was correct. 38th, tied for 38. She shot a nine over. She went 72, 73, 77. So tough week um, for Brooke. But uh, other than that, though, it was a lot of, uh, you know, again, good full weekend of golf, a lot of good, you know, players playing in both events. Uh, but the real reason why everyone is listening today is to talk about the power rankings. Uh, outsider Tommy and I recorded our first of the bottom 10 of the top 25 Saskatchewan amateurs in the province. And it reached over 2,000 views so far. And I will, I will list off the bottom 10 right now. Uh, at 25 from Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, Corey Sealander. At 24 from Deer Valley, Travis Fifi. At 23 from Saskatoon, Mark Sweeney. At 22 from Saskatoon, Travis Fair. At 21, Noah Kozak from Regina. At 20, Ashley Zigerman from Prince Albert. At 19, Michael Hertberger from Humboldt. 
At 18, from Regina, Saskatchewan, Ryan McNall. At 17, Carson Harcourt from Kipling. And at 16, Kyle Weeb from Madison, Saskatchewan. Yeah, you guys did a really good job on that uh, on that list. I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know every one of those players. I know a few of them. Uh, I guess in your opinion, uh, you, not making any jokes or anything, you didn't crack the top 25, and maybe nope. that's because you are uh, the host of the show and people don't want to put you in there because of that. That's up to them, I guess. Uh, was there any surprises in, in that grouping there that you were like, oh, really, wow, can't believe he's in there? Or is there someone that should be in there that, because you've seen the whole list. Yep, yeah, I've seen multiple lists from people that sent in. And just to answer your question, long story short is um, these lists, and this, especially this list that went out in the bottom 10, <laughs> complain all you want. These are what your peers are saying. So me and Outsider Tommy, we're just, we're just doing a point system. We're finalizing it, and we're putting it out there for you to see. So if you're shocked that you're in there or you're shocked that you don't see someone else there, then send a list in. Because at the end of the day, they're confidential. Only I see them, and Outsider Tommy sees them, but he doesn't see who it comes from. I saw a bunch of comments about outside to Outsider Tommy. People are like, who the hell is this guy? Who is he? Who is he? I know who he is. <laughs> you know who he is. And I think that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, he's doing a bang-up job. You know, I'm looking through this list here that was released on, was it Friday, right? Yeah. yeah Friday. And I, I just know from following you golfing as a younger, like I know you played against Corey Sealander lots. Yeah, lots. very good player. And you guys were very competitive growing up. Uh, Travis Fifi, I had the pleasure of meeting this past summer at Deer Valley. Super nice guy. Um, obviously, we know Noah here from Divots. Um, I know Ryan through Sean. Yeah. Um, I'm a little shocked. I And maybe Sean's in that top 15, but I thought Sean would have cracked top 25. That's... I just know when you and Sean play together, match play, you guys are unbeatable. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and if we told you any further, that would give the surprise yeah, away. Yeah, no, I know. I know. Um, but you know what? I just answered your other question. Was was I, was I surprised? Uh, there's some guys on here that I, and I won't say the names. I was, uh, honestly, I was, uh, okay. They're in, the, they're in the top 25. Uh, there's some guys that were slotted in places that I thought should be moved a little higher. Um, you know, and just the guy to mention that you mentioned Corey, like great player. You know, my whole life I grinded with this guy. We, you know, he's back from PA, right? Yeah, Prince yeah. Albert, good kid, uh, former college guy. He's done done college, but anyhow, to further story is outsider Tommy wanted me to stress again. Make sure you send listen because this top, you know, the next next three weeks now we're gonna do five, 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 five. Send in your list because those could change. So. Again, this is the, the the people's choice, the voters' choice. We are just the two pigeons running the the, the screen and dictating. Uh, here you go. I, I guess what maybe we should do, Drew, too, is uh, if if any of these guys that are in the top, how many names you got there? One, two, three, four. That's the bottom ten. Yeah. So out of these ten guys, if 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 any of them, I'm gonna call them out on it. Have the balls and are pissed off about where they're slotted, or if there's guys that aren't in the top bottom ten that should be there. Give us a call. We'll get you on the show. Maybe we'll do a little three, four-minute segment with a couple of these guys and let them have their piece. Yeah, absolutely. As that guy just bombing down the fairway there. Um, but yeah, other than that, though, remember that that is brought to you by Birch Supply Company, our new clothing apply, supplier uh, out of Lumsden, Saskatchewan. New company. Check them out. Shop local this year. Uh, and also, obviously, brought to you by Molson Coors. Again, great sponsor of the show. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, Davey Stu, Ert. So. Um, other than that, I don't got much more in the power rankings. Just send your listen and stay tuned as this Friday we will drop the next uh, 15 to 10 on the list. 
and Looking forward to it. I guess quickly here, let's talk about uh, our guest today. Um, you know, everyone, you know, a lot of guys question again. Oh, is it a hockey pod or golf pod? You know what? It's a sports pod. It's yeah. It's, it's you know we're gonna focus heavily on the golf and Saskatchewan here. That's our main goal. But we're gonna have a ton of guests on. It could be John Cena tomorrow, for all we know. Like at the end of the day, we're we're gonna have on whatever. If you don't want to listen to, don't listen to it. But that, that's right. I mean, the sorry, one. No, I was just gonna say. I know we've had a lot of hockey guys come on. Absolutely. As, as of late, and you know what? I've said it before. I'll say it again. A lot of these hockey guys are really good golfers. Yeah. And they know a lot about the game. Absolutely. Um, I know firsthand that we are going to be having a member of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders come on the show in the future so if anybody is uh, wondering if we're going to have any other than hockey and golf yet we got another rider coming on so uh, stay tuned for that uh, you know you just did your interview with uh, Troy on Troy Balmer yep on, on Friday which we'll be releasing that pretty soon um, but today's guest is it's one I'm really excited for and I'll tell you looking at our social media channels which uh, everyone knows by now um, really blowing up there. A lot of people were excited about this one. So yeah, and just further that, you know, when we put it out, it blew up right away. I didn't think it would. Uh, it blew up Kelly Rudy, uh, NHL or 670 some games in the NHL. Um, everyone knows him as either the goaltender with the weird mask, or the goaltender, or the goaltender with the bandana. Um, you know, he's a great guy. He's in Hockey Night in Canada now. Huge golfer runs a golf charity event uh, for family and friends of Kelly Rudy. Uh, he's a big advocate for you know helping kids with I, think, I believe. And we're, we're talking about it later. Uh, mental issue or not issues? Uh, what's the word? Um, uh, what's that word called? God, I'm stumbling here. Like, uh, God, what's that word? When you, oh my God, I can't think mental of it. health. Mental health. Yeah, there oh, it is. There Thank you. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah, he's a big advocate for that. Um, but yeah, Kelly Rudy, <laughs> he was a lot of fun. So we're excited to uh, send it on over now to Kelly. Uh, I think he's enjoy it. Shoots his block. What a save by Rudy. Ridley with a great move. Patrick in front. Save Rudy. Glass Mountain Distilleries. Famous seasonal releases. Cherry whiskey and hazelnut cream liqueur. Now available at retailers across the province and at the distillery. Get your Christmas shopping done before they're gone. Contactless pickup available at this distillery through our website at www.lastmountaindistillery.com. Welcome from Edmonton, Alberta, a former Medicine Hat Tiger, a longtime NHLer playing in 677 NHL games. Played for the Islanders, LA Kings, and the Sharks. He's a hockey analyst with Hockey Night in Canada. So after all of that, we're very happy to be joined by Kelly Rudy. Thanks for joining the podcast today, Kelly. Hey, how are you guys? Good, good. Can't complain. As Troy mentioned off the record, it's uh, cold up here in southern Saskatchewan. Um, so we're just, <laughs> we're just bare with the cold. <laughs> Well, it's December. What do you expect, right? Like yesterday in Calgary, we had it, uh, I think it was like minus 14, and that's without the wind chill. And so I kind of I like the four seasons. And uh, I certainly, I know a lot of people get a little bit tired of the winter weather, but I certainly don't mind it. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I was telling Troy earlier that it's nice to have either, you know, no snow and a little bit of cold or a lot of snow and not cold. So I hope that doesn't come into the effect that we have both of them this year. But Usually the way it works in here in Canada. <laughs> Absolutely. We've all spent many cold days on the uh, Alberta prairies, haven't we? Absolutely. Uh, okay, Kelly, so first off, um, you know, obviously, how are things with you? What's new in your life? Uh, obviously, with COVID, uh, I'm sure you're uh, chomping at the bit to get back into the, the hockey night in Canada booth there. 
Yeah, that's, you know, there are a lot of topics here to discuss. So the, uh, the pandemic <clears throat> has been really uh, troublesome for so many families and uh, we're not exempt. And so it's been, uh, you know, uh, really challenging that way and uh, emotionally, mentally, uh, physically, and even financially for a lot of people. So this has been uh, <clears throat> really, really difficult to nine months for uh, a lot of us and we're just trying to find ways to get through it and do our best and i think our family's uh, trying to do our best at uh, uh doing the right thing so uh in the last little while we haven't seen any of our uh, kids and uh you know that's been really really difficult with grandparents also and we haven't uh, been able to see our little guy so uh we're trying to manage that but yeah there's uh something to be uh, looking forward to and that's uh, the return of play hopefully within about a month or so i'm not sure uh, depending on the the numbers again with COVID, how that's going to work but uh, yeah I'm, I'm really starting to get excited we're starting to have meetings again about how that might look and what uh, <clears throat> we're going to do for a broadcast and so uh, i'm starting to get my head around that sort of uh, starting to get to do a little bit of work again right now trying to uh, figure out uh, what we're going to do on air and how it's going to look. So it's pretty exciting. Nice. Right on. Well, uh, before we get going in uh, any more, Kelly, sorry, uh, where are you right now? Are you in Calgary, Alberta? Yes, I am. That's where, uh, that's my home base. I've been here for, uh, oh, 20 some years. Uh, in fact, uh, guys, when uh, we were living in L.A. and playing there, we built a house here in Calgary. We always knew we were going to return back to Canada and, uh, this is our <clears throat> home, and we love it. And, you know, I uh, I just I'm a big fan of the city, and we have the Rocky Mountains like less than an hour away, so it's a perfect situation. Well, that John Denver's full of shit, so. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right, Kelly. Quickly here before Troy jumps in here. As always, I like to backtrack things here a little bit. Um, knowing to a young Kelly Rudy, uh, what sorts of things were you doing as a youngster? Uh, sports, hobbies, um, yeah. Man, I played every sport. I guess the only sport I didn't play was basketball because I, I can't get any vertical. I, like, my vertical is about half an inch. So that that doesn't play out very well in a sport where you have to jump. But uh, every other sport I played, uh, you know, football, baseball. I didn't start organized hockey until I was 12, but I still played with all my friends, uh, ball hockey and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I played all sorts of racket sports growing up, tennis, uh, racquetball badminton um man there wasn't anything that i didn't try so uh, i was lucky and it was in a time in which uh, young players uh, boys and girls were they were able to play multiple sports and uh, they weren't forced to choose at a young age and so <clears throat> that's something that i always uh, cherish about uh, my childhood i i had a, a dream upbringing really i had two beautiful parents that were awesome and, and uh, an older brother and we're a really close family, and so my memories of my childhood are just tremendous. So, Kelly, uh, let, let's let's get when you got into hockey. Um, did did you always say I was going to be a goalie right from get go? Did you play a forward defense? And I mean, like, where where did the passion? When, when did it become so big for you that you said, "Hey, mm -hmm. I, I'm gonna, I want to, I want to do this." Okay, so it wasn't as uh, cut and dried as I think a lot of kids, where they sort of have an idea what they want to do, what position they want to play. And <clears throat> for me, uh, excuse me, I'm fighting some allergies here, which is a strange time of year. But um, so when I was 11, I went to my mom and dad and I said, hey, I'd like to 
join organized hockey. And they both gave me the great advice that, no, uh, we will allow you, but uh, not for another year. You have to learn how to skate. You know, it's pretty cool going back to uh, about 1972 or so. And uh, they, 71, they both to sort of go, you know, important part of hockey to really understand uh, that you have to be a, a good skater. And so that whole year, every day after school, I go to the outdoor rink in our little community, this place called Elmwood in the uh, west part of Edmonton, and uh, I learned how to skate. And not great, but well enough to get around, right? And so uh, then the following year, my mom and dad, yep, great. And uh, they signed me up, and I still hadn't decided what position. In fact, I'm playing ball hockey with my buddy Jeff Marshall, most likely around August, uh, at his house, and we're taking shots from each other, and my buddy Jeff asked me what position I thought I might play, and I didn't really know, and his dad, Mr. Marshall, happened to be walking by, heard part of our conversation, and he said something like, you know, Kelly, I don't want to influence you too great, or too much here, but uh, whenever you're uh, in the net, and I'm watching you guys, you stop the ball more than anybody else, and I was sort of like, the, the light turned on, I was like, hmm, that's interesting, and so I thought I'll play goal, but the other part of the equation is that this is the really cool part about my community, Elmwood. Um, if you decide you want to play goal, they're going to lend you the equipment because my mom and dad, there's not a chance that they could have afforded the equipment. And so I was given a, a great break in that sense, and I played for that community for five or six years, and every single year they lent us the equipment. So. I was given a great opportunity, and I just I fell in love with the uh, the challenge of that uh, position. And I think for anybody that's ever played it, I always use the word intoxicating uh, when you get in the net because it's so challenging. Every single day seems to be different, and you have to really find a way mentally to get through it and uh, the highs and lows. And so I just you know that, that great memories again playing on outdoor rinks. And the only time I played indoor rinks. Uh, until I was 16 or 17, because I never played on any rep teams, was during minor hockey week. And so that was a week, and I only had you know, a couple of games in arenas. Other than that, all my games were outdoors. Hmm. So i, I got to ask, this isn't even on the script, but uh, I, I know quite a few goalies. <laughs> I know quite a few goalies growing up, and I'm going to ask you this right out of the gate here. What, what's your superstition? What quirks? Because every goalie I know, they're just a little different than most people. Don't shoot in my head. Well... <laughs> being a little bit different uh, and having quirks simply because I don't think that's necessarily the case as much anymore, but uh, we're all afraid, right? Like you're going to get hurt more than anybody else because our equipment was so terrible. But so you had that. And, uh, but I think for me, I don't think I had any quirks or any uh, habits until I got a little bit older. And then luckily for me, I think it was in my second year in the NHL, uh, Dennis Potvin sort of uh, helped me get rid of it. So I used to like to line up my sticks. It would be taped in a particular way, and I'd put them on the wall in the dressing room in a particular way, and I, I didn't want anybody to touch them or move them. And then uh, we're in Washington for an afternoon game, and, uh, you know, the young stick boy, he's uh, a local kid, and he has no idea what my quirks or habits might be. And so he moved my sticks over by the stick rack, and... Uh, I may have snapped at him or something or maybe <laughs> made a comment. I can't recall, but I, I do recall what Dennis Potvin said to me, something about if you're so unprepared to play that if that young boy moves your sticks, then we're in big, big trouble. Something <laughs> along those lines, right? Like, And he was right. And so from that point on, I tried to break any little habits or 
quirks or superstitions that I had. And I always tried to sort of maintain a, an attitude that, you know, when it doesn't matter what I might do, to, you know, like a superstition. It, you know, what really matters is how I prepare for a game and how I react during the game to all the situations that are going to happen. Yeah, it's funny because I always, well, personally, goalies are painted with a different brush. And the reason I say that mm -hmm. is a close friend of mine, we played hockey together 14, 15 years, goalie, of course, wore the same socks every game without washing them for 14 years. And underwear. Gross. <laughs> well, that, that's crazy. <laughs> gross. That's gross, right? And, and now he's a plumber. So, anyways, didn't work out well, for I'll him. Tell you, I'll tell you why goalies are uh, of that mindset to a certain degree. Uh, because we have the pressure, right? Right. So, other than the, the rare superstar that you're going to come across, that they have that same pressure. Every single game, a goalie has the pressure. And every single game, if a goalie doesn't play well, in particular, like in minor sports, all the parents blame the goalie, right? Yeah. So, it, you know, you could be the fourth defenseman on a team, <clears throat> and for the most part, no nobody criticizes you. You know, that's just... That's what he is, and you know you don't have great expectations, and and so unfortunately for a goalie, he plays the full sixty minutes, and there's a lot of pressure and uh, and a lot of eyeballs on him, uh, and so they you, you find a way to sort of exist under those conditions, and it's not easy, and so that that's what stress kind of does to people at at any age. Absolutely. All right, Kelly, so I, I got to ask now, I mean, you, you get selected to play for the Medicine Hat Tigers and played three seasons there. Uh, couple, uh, Two-part question here. First off, how was that experience? Second part, um, you know, a former goaltender from the Medicine Hat Tigers, a buddy of mine, Daniel Wapple, asks, uh, did you guys oh, yeah. run off the ice when, uh, or after a game in home, or at home, sorry? Say the, the second part again. Did you guys have to run off the ice when you guys were uh, done the game? He said it was pretty crazy when he was playing there. Well, it, it was definitely crazy, you know, <laughs> playing in the 70s and uh, <clears throat> a little bit in the 80s. I mean, the hockey back then was, uh, that was a different experience. I'd say uh, our building was uh, unbelievable. Great atmosphere. Um, the fans were really, really into it. Uh, they were, uh, you know, really vocal, loud. Like if a team like Calgary or Lethbridge in particular came in, I, I mean, some of the comments might have been ruthless back then. <laughs> and so it was different. But it was, a, you know, for me, being a 17-year-old kid and moving away at a young age, uh, going to medicine, that was a fantastic experience because you really had to grow up. Now, don't get me wrong, I was super homesick and really lonely for the first few months, as any 17-year-old kid would be. And, and I think that's today why I still really feel for kids that move away whether it's to go play sports somewhere or go to university and I just know the hardships that all the, the people have and how difficult it is but one of the great things for me in Medicine Hat was that once you finally figure out that hey these people are spending their hard-earned money to come watch you play it is a totally different environment than playing uh, minor sports yeah. where everybody gets in the building for free right so now that they're paying money they also feel they have the uh, ability to say whatever they want about you. So <laughs> yeah. I remember my first year, I was in the mall in Medicine Hat. I was with one of our veterans, Kurt Broadhead, a great guy that was a real good mentor for me. And we had lost the night before, and I guess I didn't play very well because fans came up to Kurt and I. They recognized Kurt. They didn't recognize me. 
And the first thing they started talking about was how lousy I was <laughs> the <laughs> night before. And it, it wasn't that I took great offense to it. It was like, holy, this is this is real. This is really happening now. Now, now that people pay their money, um, this is sort of the situation you're going to find yourself in. And, and <clears throat> it was good in the sense, hang on. Sorry, guys. Holy. <laughs> It's not COVID, is it? Was it? In, <laughs> it was good in the sense that uh, you know you sort of understand, so that when you go to a bigger stage, whether it's in the minors or the NHL, you understand that holy people can be ruthless, and that's kind of the uh, the job that you've chosen. So you've got to get used to it. Kel, when you when you were playing with Medicine Hat, did you have the what was the radio announcer's name? Brian something, wasn't it? Do you remember? So you, Say that again. Who is the radio announcer for Medicine Hat Tigers? Oh, Bob Ridley. Bob Ridley. Oh so did you have? Was he? Was he your radio play-by-play? Oh yeah. Okay. So uh, yeah, I had bus a driver radio play-by-play. He did it all. Like, <laughs> Bob's a legend. I think he should be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Right? I, I like, think he just retired. The reason I was asking is I had a friend of mine that won the Mem Cup with Medicine Hat, and there what I guess would be the mid '80s. I guess it would have been. Yeah. And yep. he was talking to me all about. Uh, Bob Ridley and tell me some stories about this guy and I think he retired last year or so but uh, yeah I was just curious if he was still uh, around when you were there well I don't yeah I don't, I don't know if he's officially retired I know that he's not driving the bus anymore which is crazy <laughs> he would drive the bus and do the broadcast and so you know we'd go on a long long road trip here Bob would be calling the game and then we get on the bus after and he's driving all the way home and uh, and he drove to that city also it's like <laughs> Crazy. Uh, we've we've shared Bob's story many many times on the air on Hockey Night in Canada because it's a, such a unique story and uh, man alive. I just love the guy and he and I have uh, remained dear friends. You know, many times I couldn't sleep on a bus after a game and so uh, Bob would be driving us home through some wicked snowstorm from some city back to the hat and I'd I'd be standing in the uh, stairwell and uh, just chatting up a storm with Bob and uh, learning all about the history of the Medicine Hat Tigers and. And so on. And I think that was kind of my first understanding about uh, the broadcasting industry also. And I asked, uh, I must have peppered Bob with a million questions about broadcasting. And I think that was sort of where I got an idea that that might be something that I want to do. And so just the best of memories with Bob. You know, I actually had the pleasures of meeting him. I guess it would have been two winters ago. Uh, again, a buddy of mine played for, was it, I can't remember what year it was, 84, Drew? 85 sounds about right yeah anyways he took me upstairs into the press box they were here in regina playing and yeah. the guy had such a memory because rod hadn't played with him in 30 years and he's like hey rod how are you doing like he just he, he remembered every player that played for the tigers too so super nice man but uh yeah i just thought absolutely. I'd ask you absolutely so and that's one of the things that you know, it's those memories that really stay with you forever right when you meet special people like bob and many others that uh, you know i'm I'm long removed from my, my junior days, but yet those are some of the best memories I have in the game. Right. So you get drafted by the Islanders, 1980, second round. How special was that to you? And second part of that is how special was it to your family? Yeah, I, I guess I only hesitate because although it was, it was really special, at the time, go back to 1980, I think that was the first time that players went to the draft. So prior to that, nobody ever went to a draft. And back in 80, they only uh, sort of suggested that the, the guys that kind of knew they were going in the first round would go to the draft. Other than that, nobody went. Yeah. So it was in Montreal. 
And uh, my brother Ken and I were playing ball hockey in my mom and dad's basement when the phone rang. And my brother went upstairs, and uh, uh, the gentleman on the other end of the line said, is Kelly there? And so Ken called me upstairs. I answered the phone, and the guy introduced himself by the name of Jim, uh, Jimmy Devilano, legendary hockey mm-hmm. personality. And, uh, and Mr. Devilano said, hey, Kelly, uh, we, the New York Islanders, have drafted you in the second round, and you'll get to... Uh, all the contract and all these other things sent to you in the mail down the road, and hopefully we'll see you uh, in September in New York uh, for training camp. And that was about it. That you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't the fanfare that it is today. There was no big party. There was no celebration that night. There was no big family gathering. Uh, we didn't go out for dinner. It was just you know that's that's what happened. And I, I didn't even I guess recognize at the time, but that day was going to change my life forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm on record many, many times, guys, saying that, you know, I wanted to be a park warden in Banff or Jasper or Yoho or Cooper or something. That's That was my goal in life. And then this game of hockey got in the way. But it wasn't uh, – I, I didn't think that I was ever going to earn a dime from playing hockey, that's for sure. I, I'd say it turned out quite well for you. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> So, Kelly, I mean, before going to the island, you played two full seasons in Indianapolis for the Checkers and the CHL, uh, the Central Hockey League, I believe that is. Uh, how was that experience? Fantastic. I needed time in the minors. I wasn't ready <laughs> for the NHL. And uh, had it not been for my two years in Indy, I would never have made my way to the National Hockey League. So those two years were great two years of growth for me. Um, we had a really good team. We won the championship uh, two years in a row down there. Uh, Fred Creighton was our coach. He had been uh, formerly with Boston and Colorado, and he was just a tremendous man. He and his, his wife, Elaine, were such an influence in my life. So Monty Trachi and I were roommates. That's uh, Brian's, uh, one of Brian's younger brothers. Yeah. And Monty and I, uh, since we lived together, um, every single Monday if we were in town, Fred and Elaine would invite us over, and Fred would uh, go through a video session with Monty and I and we'd go over the weekend games and uh, watch and he'd critique us or compliment us and what we are doing and what we needed to do different or better and all that kind of stuff. And after that video session was over, uh, Fred and Elaine would take Monty and I out for pizza every single time. And it was just magical. And we wouldn't talk much about hockey, but we'd talk about family and life. And, you know, it was just such a, a great person in my life. And... Uh, uh, I've always said to a lot of people that uh, Fred is one of the reasons why I made the National Hockey League, and he was—he uh, could be like a—he was like a, a father again to me, like Al Arbor was, and uh, you know I had a great, great dad as I mentioned earlier. But these two men really cared about me, and I knew it. Absolutely. So then, moving forward now, in 1983, you get your first taste in the NHL, uh, playing for the Islanders. You know, first off, how was that? You know, your first NHL game, and uh, my boss, Rich Pilon, said that you were the second best dressed guy on the team. <laughs> and who is the best dressed? Rich Pilon. <laughs> <laughs> I figured that was going to be the answer. I, I remember Rich when he came to our team, and uh, you know, he he played. Uh, full throttle every single game. Like he laid it on the line. He was uh, he was a tough guy, and uh, you knew you were going to get your uh, money's worth from him every single shift. And so, uh, great respect to uh, Rich. And uh, 
Um, yeah, I, I remember him just laughing a lot. And, uh, oh, yeah. He had a good sense of humor. He liked being around the guys. He liked the camaraderie. He liked uh, the jokes and uh, the ribbing and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, that was cool, uh, making the Islanders. That year I was the only rookie to make the team out of training camp. And uh, then that year we added some other guys after the Olympics in Sarajevo. Uh, Pat Flatley joined us, Pat LaFontaine, Gord Deneen came up that year. Um, I think there are a couple of other guys that uh, ended up coming up and uh, were sort of the team in transition. We had won, or they had won four consecutive Stanley Cups. That year we ended up going to the finals and losing to the Oilers. But uh, it was uh, a great experience for me because I was around the best players in the game, right? I'm yeah. around Brian Trotte and Mike Bossy and Dennis Potvin and Billy Smith and Clark Gillies and Bob Bourne. Bob Nystrom, Ken Morrow, Stefan Pearson, the list is endless. John Tonelli and all these guys, Butch Goring, that, you know, you just, you can't get a better education than growing up in a system like that. Absolutely. So, Kelly, you got to play, in my opinion, for the legend, Al Arbor. How was he? How was yep. he? Like that, there's got to be some stories you can share with our listeners um, alongside some really good stories, I'm assuming, playing with the Islanders. Yeah, Al was... Uh, special to all of us. I don't know if there's one guy out there that really would say a bad thing about Al. And you can't say that about many coaches. And uh, Al was a guy that uh, he, he just, I just knew that when, whether I played well or if I played poorly, and Al could be, he was stern, there's no question about it. But all the time, every single night, I put my head on the pillow to go to bed, and I knew Al cared about me. And uh, you can't say that about all the coaches that you've ever had. And uh, Al was great in that way, and, and he really understood, I think, the, the mentality of uh, people. And I, I think that he might have been ahead of his time. Um, you know, you've heard of coaches, they, they treat everybody the same, and that wasn't Al, not at all. Uh, that was my first sort of uh, uh, understanding about how, how all the rules were the same for all of us, but how he treated us, he treated us all differently because he knew that we had different personalities. And so... How he would treat Dennis Potvin. Uh, Dennis, uh, from what I gather, he was there long before I was. But uh, Al was quite hard on Dennis because he knew he could take it. And that's what Dennis needed to get the best out of himself. And how he treated me, he was a lot uh, more gentle towards me. And uh, a guy like Pat LaFontaine, he was really gentle towards. Uh, and that's what uh, Pat needed because he, of course, was great talent. And he went on to have a Hockey Hall of Fame career. But... Uh, Pat wasn't the kind of guy that you could really get on a lot. And so that was the beauty of Al. He understood all of us. He knew what uh, <clears throat> what we needed. And, uh, yeah, he, you know, Al, I think, is uh, one of the most respected guys that has ever been around the game of hockey. Right. Awesome. So Absolutely. You finish your time on the island, and then you head over to the bright lights of L.A. You're playing for the Kings. Hollywood. And it's right in the era where L.A., I mean, they're starting to pick up. Things are starting to turn upward. How, how was that change for you, and uh, how was it playing in L.A.? Yeah, that was a unique experience, again, because I'm going from a really established team to a team that is now, they've traded for Gretzky, and they're now trying to sort of gain some respectability in the game of hockey. And uh, adding Wayne, you know, you couldn't have asked to, to have a better person. And so... Uh, I remember in Southern California at the time, uh, well, San Diego had some minor hockey league teams, and so they they had a arena. I knew that. But uh, 
other than the Great Western Forum where we played, there was only one other rink. There's called Culver City Arena. And uh, that's where we practiced, and the ice was horrible. And, uh, you know, it, it was hockey wasn't big at the time, but it just started to grow. And because of Wayne's uh, presence and all the work that Bruce McNall did in the community in Southern California, the game started to really pick up momentum. And I'm happy to say that uh, I did something about five years ago, and I, I needed to understand how hockey was growing in, in Southern California. I think I counted something like uh, 70 arena ice sheets in the Southern California area. So you can see the growth from uh, 1988 yeah. when Wayne was traded there to now. And that, that's really exciting because all the players that have ever played uh, during Wayne's time and after, that's a testament to all the work that everybody's done in trying to grow the game of hockey in, in Southern Cal. And, and I can tell you right now that, uh, uh, and this is without an exaggeration, it's a hockey hotbed. And, uh, you know, the, the junior leagues in uh, Western Canada in particular have tons of kids from California playing on their on their teams, and uh, I know I used to be a part of the ownership group of the uh, Nimo Clippers for a number of years, and we had lots of kids from California, and they were good, like really talented, and and uh, we're happy to have them. And uh, now you look at other places like Texas, that's a hockey hotbed, and uh, you know I think uh, the next big one might be Tennessee. They're really growing the game. So my my long-winded answer about going to California is it's not just the hockey playing experience. That was amazing. Like playing on a team with with Wayne was outrageously cool. But it's the, to see the growth of hockey and how it's become a global game. So Kelly, just like to touch on that. I mean, growing the game there. Like, I mean, obviously going from New York Islanders and then playing in LA. Like the fan base. I mean, it must have been you know small initially, and then it must have just grown and grown and grown. Because I remember watching. I mean, I'm 25, so I'm watching you know the Don Cherry episodes and stuff, seeing how the, the, the all the celebrities and the um, in the crowd, just just uh, touch on how the game just grew in LA for the Kings and the fan base. Well, yeah, totally. When I played for New York and we'd go to LA for a game, uh, even though we were like a really good team in in uh, New York, so I, I guess we'd get a few more fans in uh, in LA, but we'd get I don't know ten thousand fans, and the building held sixteen thousand, so it wasn't a full building all the time, or very rarely, anyways. And so to see when uh, Wayne was traded there, now the hockey's taking off and there's tons of celebrities at every game. And we were sold out for years uh, in the Great Western Forum. And it was just a really cool transformation to see, again, the game growing and, and uh, the excitement. Like, if you went to a game on a Saturday night at the Forum, it was rocking. Like, it was a cool, yeah. cool building. And, uh, man, it was uh, the, the energy in that building um, was tremendous, and and I will say this: that I think a lot of people uh, had the notion that they didn't understand the game of hockey that well, and, and that's that's not true. Those fans really understood the game of hockey. Uh, they they really took the effort to uh, learn the game, and uh, and still to this day, when I go there as a broadcaster, uh, I'm just blown away how enthusiastic they are towards the game. They love the game. They understand the sport. They're tremendous uh, fans, and uh, it's just a, a really great environment to be a part of. So quickly, Kelly, you know, obviously playing with Wayne, you know, the greatest of all time. And, you know, we had Brad May on just last week, and, and he mentioned it's so hard to compare eras, you know, the Medellinis to the Datsus or whatever it may be. You know, what was what was it like playing with Wayne? Like, did, like was he just untouchable? 
Well, Wayne is, uh, you know, besides his talent, that, that was obvious. You could see that. You still go watch him on uh, YouTube and you, you recognize that man alive. He was uh, miles ahead of everybody. But, you know, and you're right. It's hard to compare eras. But if you were to take Wayne in today's game, and if all things were equal, he had the same equipment and uh, all that, uh, he would still be the best player on the ice. And, and the reason why is because uh, he thinks the game unlike anybody else. And so, you know, the top players in today's game, like Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and Sidney Crosby and Nathan McKinnon and everybody else, they have unique talents and incredible talent, skill level, but they think the game at such a higher level, and that's what Wayne has always been a part of. Like, I'm of the mindset that it doesn't matter when you play. Like, you could have played in the 30s, and again, all things being equal, if you have the same sort of equipment and everything, they would be a great player in today's game. And uh, so, you know, it's hard because you look at video and you go, boy, the guys in the 70s weren't all that good. But, yeah, they were. You know, the the top players in the 70s still fought the game at an incredibly high level. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just think that that's what separates the good players from the average player. Yeah, I, I got to agree with you on that, Kel. I was actually going to ask you about comparable to Connor McDavid, but you kind of just summed it up right there. So I'm going to fast forward. The year is 1996. Drew is one years old. You finish up with the Sharks. <laughs> you play there in 96 and 97. What was it like playing in San Jose? Oh, it was great. Uh, one of my favorite memories, I had a lot of really amazing teammates uh, and uh, uh, new friendships, but <clears throat> Gene Lombardi was our general manager. And uh, Gene and I had such a special uh, friendship and relationship, and he was one of the guys in, in my hockey life that I, I respect so greatly because of uh, the way that he would sort of, he was a student to the game. Even though he was a general manager, he, he needed to keep trying to learn and learn and learn. And uh, to this day, we still text each other, and uh, I lean on him heavily for certain things. And uh, so my two years in San Jose will always be the, the greatest thing was my relationship with Dean Lombardi. Now, were you like the wily veteran, obviously, in the dressing room, right? I, I'm assuming a lot of the younger guys looked up to you. Because at that time, you would have had about yeah. a 15, 16-year career in the NHL, right? Both that? Yeah, but you know what? That was what Dean brought in because the – the Sharks started to have a tiny bit of success uh, a couple of years before uh, I got there. Like, they had Archer's Urbe, and he was a phenomenal oh, goalie. Artemis Urbe. Oh. respectability with his play. And, but Dean recognized that it was a young team with some really good young players, like uh, Marco Sturm and Andre Zuzan and Victor Kozlov and, and uh, Owen Nolan, and then came Patrick Marlowe. But... But Dean brought in a whole bunch of veterans at 96, 97 team. So he brought in myself and Tony Granado and Murray Craven, uh, Marty McSorley, Bernie Nichols. Uh, there are a few other guys that uh, Dean brought in because he thought that although it was a really good, young, talented team, that they needed some experience. And so all of us were sort of asked to come in. And although you know, I can speak to myself, I wasn't maybe the goalie that I was uh, a little bit earlier in my career, but uh, I still had the experience and I still had the will and I still had the competitive edge, and uh, that's what Dean wanted around that team. And so uh, that was fun to be a part of, and, and uh, to see that organization sort of grow from those first couple of years and then become 
uh, a perennial uh, powerhouse for a lot of years was really amazing. All right, Kelly, question for you here. A lot of people want to know behind the obvious uh, of obviously cleaning sweat from your eyes. What was the reason behind the headband and baby blue? Why? And it became a party <laughs> outfit. <laughs> well, it, it, that was kind of like an accident. So when I was playing for the island uh, or Islanders, uh, you guys might recall, I think you're probably too young, but the, the uh, underwear that we wore under our equipment was basically those Stanfield uh, pajamas. Kelly, and, uh, I, I, I remember this clearly because I used to wear them. I'll be 40 on Thursday. Yeah. There's a little bit of an age gap between Drew and I. Okay, so, yeah. But I clearly yeah. remember what you're talking about. Yeah, totally. And so those, uh, I used to have long hair and I wore contacts. And so uh, I was always trying to find something really absorbent because the traditional headband just wasn't cutting it for me. And so one day at practice, uh, Nassau Coliseum, I just took that T-shirt that we wore under our gear and cut it up and wrapped around my head, and all of a sudden I'm in practice, I'm going, holy, this is pretty good. This is a little bit more absorbent, and uh, I'm going to switch it out all the time. So I switched it out between periods, but it sort of become became unintentionally my trademark. And uh, um, in fact, I, I kind of hated it after a while. I was like, well, people sort of only recognize me because of the headband, <laughs> not because of my play. And so... Uh, I talked to my family at one point about getting rid of it, and they're like, no, people identify with that headband, and I think you should wear it for the rest of your, your career, and I did. So, like, you, did you say you cut it up every, after every period? Well, no, I would uh, I would cut up, I don't know, I, I had about, oh, boy, I can't even remember. I, I might have had, uh, I don't know, 20 at any given point. So one day at practice, I just get there early and cut up a whole bunch of the t-shirts and have them uh, as extras and then just sort of make my way through and I don't know how long they would last. They'd last about uh, three weeks or something like that and then I'd just get rid of them and, and take some of the other spares that I had uh, and you know you'd have uh, about three different uh, sets of uh, underwear that you would uh, have under your gear and I'd have those uh, extras. I'd have, I don't know, four or something for uh, regular season game, and then I'd have, uh, I don't know, six, seven, eight uh, headbands ready for a playoff game in case it went beyond uh, one one overtime. Well, I'm sure the GM and the trainers were really happy with you cutting up shirts all the time. <laughs> <laughs> the added cost, right? Like, yeah. What's that guy doing? Can't he just go to the sports store and, and pick up a regular uh, uh, headband? Exactly. <laughs> so, Kelly, who, who is one guy that you played against that you were so impressed with as a player that you knew each time it was going to be a battle? Like, who's the one guy? Oh, boy. I have to say uh, Pavel Bure was the one guy. There, there are plenty that uh, I had uh, my mind on every single game. But Pavel Bure was uh, such an amazing player. And, we, and because of the conference division, we played him a ton every single year, right? right so he right. would get his opportunities. And he was just uh, – he was uh, – he was a goal-scoring machine. I mean, the speed, the skill, everything. But I guess it was in 92-93. Then we had sort of like uh, a counterbalance to Pavel Bury. And it was one, it was one of his countrymen. And we uh, drafted a, a great young player by the name of Alex Zitnik. Oh, okay. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Zitnik, yep. We had a lot of great young players like Rob Blake and Daryl Sador and others. And we had... 
about a great veteran defenseman, but Alex Shitnick had taken it upon himself to try and be better than Pavel Bure every single time he was on the ice. And I don't know if it was because of uh, growing up uh, being a Russian or, or what, but that was the thing. Like, he was just, he was on a mission every single game, and so he was really good at neutralizing Bure, in particular in the 93 playoffs when we played them in the uh, second round and and uh, Alex was just a rock star. He had a, by the way, he had a phenomenal NHL career, uh, very underrated, and people don't give him the respect that they should. I still remember drafting him, uh, I guess it'd be, what, NHL 95 for Sega Genesis. I think Alexi Jitnik. Oh, is that right? Yeah, he was always ranked really high, so I'd always get him on my team. But, yeah, again, <laughs> I'm dating myself, so... What's a Sega? Man, well, he could skate, eh? Like, he had that low center of gravity. And, uh, he was really physical. He was a great skater, like I mentioned. He had really good skills, uh, good offensive uh, mind for the game. Uh, by the way, I mean, you know, what a shame. L.A. had Daryl Sador, Rob Blake, and Alex Shitnick, three of the best young uh, defensemen. And uh, in no time, they had traded Shitnick and, and uh, Sador away, like, that was just plain old wrong. I mean, you, you don't have good young players like that and uh, find a way to get rid of them. Yeah. I, I got a really off-the-wall question for you because I just said to you. Off-the-wall. Like, NHL 1995 Sega Genesis, and Drew said, what the hell is a Sega? Do you remember, Kelly, a player in the National Hockey League, because I used to get him all the time, named Pierre Dejus? What was his name? I believe it was Pierre like P-E-R, last name D-J-O-O-S. Oh, yeah, for sure. Pa- was it not yeah. Pair de Juice? Yeah, it was, yeah. And was he any good? Um, oh, boy. <laughs> well, he was in the NHL. Yeah, okay, so yeah, fair good. enough, fair enough. He's better than yeah. I was. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't recall a ton about him, and uh, but I do remember the name. Uh, like, here's my thing about if you're any good or not. I've always said if you've ever played a game, one game of junior, you're a really, really good hockey yes. player. If you're ever fortunate enough to play one game in the minors, you're a phenomenal hockey player. And if you ever played one game in the NHL, I mean, you've reached the ultimate level of uh, that sport. And so everybody's good. It's just what level of good you are. Right. So Troy and I are really good. Yes. Well, <laughs> we made it. Made the cut. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's all, I think... I was on a conference call last week with uh, people of, uh, with the uh, PA and NHL alumni, and uh, there's one NHL team on the call as well. And, and it, it, it's always shocking to me. I think that the number they threw out, there, there have only been 3,500 people that have ever played in the National Hockey League. And so maybe that number's off by a little bit, but that was the number that was thrown out there. And that's shocking to me. Like, the, the game's been over a hundred and some years and so very few people have ever laced up their skates to play in a national hockey league mm-hmm. game that is just phenomenal to me well it's those guys like you play 15 years in the nhl talk <laughs> for the guys that get in the game. <laughs> it's funny though because you know i uh the last lockout i heard a stat and it was uh uh what 49% of all the players that have ever played in the National Hockey League have played 50 or fewer games. But the number gets really skewed. So that's not many, right? Yeah. And I think the other number is uh, the average NHL career is about three years. But if you get to uh, year seven or eight, the likelihood, unless you have some sort of catastrophic injury, if you play seven or eight years, the likelihood 
you are going to end up with like a 15 or 18 year career. And so that's where the number really gets skewed. So if, you, if you're able to last for those seven or eight years, you're on the road to having a, a long career. I, man, I remember when I was in, uh, in L.A., and uh, you'd get the press notes before every game, and I'd read them, and I'd read about the other teams, uh, what streaks are happening, how their power play has been lately, and all these uh, sort of things just for information going into the game. And I remember looking at my, my stats, and I was in my 10th year, and I'm going, holy, like, I can't believe I'm one of those guys now. I'm like a, a 10-year veteran. I never expected that, and as I said earlier in the in the uh, phone call, I thought I was going to be a park warden, and all of a sudden I'm in my 10th year, and I had no idea I was going to play another five years in the game, and so it really sneaks up on you. So, Kelly, speaking of the game, you know, we already talked about, you know, kind of a ritual, but what was a day in the life of Kelly Rudy? Uh, you know, pregame meals, a pasta, chicken, what are you eating? Or how many, so are you smoking? How many beers between periods? Like, what's going on back then? <laughs> well, it, it changes along your uh, your path because you're older and your, your body's not behaving the same way, so you've got to put in more uh, time to get ready for a game. So, uh Stretching was always important, so there's no question when I was younger, I was a little bit more flexible, and so as uh, the years sort of go on, uh, stretching was even more and more important, so I would stretch eight to ten times a day uh, on game day, Um, so that was a big part of my life. Uh, If I was on the road, I'd usually have a bath the night before the game, and I'd do a lot of stretching. Um, that was one of the ways that I, I needed to prepare just so that I could get out on the ice and do my job properly. Um, I would, I got a little bit more, I don't know, regimented in what time I like to eat. I usually like to eat around 12:15 for a seven o'clock game. Uh, a two hour nap was extremely important when I was young. Uh, I could try and nap, but uh, they didn't come as easily as the older I got. And then, man, I could I could shut her down hard for two hours before a game. And, and then I'd get to the rink, and I liked uh, two or three cups of coffee. Uh, I don't know if players in today's game have uh, that kind of that much caffeine before <laughs> a game. But to me, it was important. I'd just sit in my stall and sort of uh, think about the game, think about the opposition, uh, you know, Who's on the Who's on the ice at certain times? What their power play might be up to, and all those sorts of things. And and uh, then I'd finally get ready about uh, 20 minutes before warm up, and I had my sort of routine to get ready. And uh, man, I just love those times where you're sitting in your stall getting ready, and the guys are chirping and uh, <laughs> teasing everybody, and uh, you know the the banter back and forth was just hilarious and i think that's one thing that people might not know just how loose players are and how much fun they have in the dressing room before you get ready now maybe yeah. there's not the same banter after warm-up because uh you know a little bit of uh, mind changing and uh, you know a little shifting of the the focus but the uh the getting ready before the warm-up is so much fun oh yeah <laughs> yeah wish i could have made the big show drew <laughs> But just here, have a bag. Here, on the, here just I have am. a bag on the locker room. I just want to get one day in the show. And here I am doing a golf podcast. But uh, Kelly, we got another question for you before we get into some golf chat. Um, oh, I like it. When what was the transition transition like after you decided to retire? I mean, did you take some time off? 
uh, before getting into the broadcasting? I mean, or was it something on your mind that you knew you wanted to get into broadcasting, broadcasting with Hockey Night in Canada? Yeah, I was lucky. So as I mentioned, when I was around Bob Ridley, that might have been the first sort of idea I had that, you know, broadcasting might be something that I might be interested in. But the bug really got a hold of me in uh, New York. And uh, so not only did I like to watch a lot of hockey, but I love really paying attention to the broadcast. And in particular, I love the intermissions. So whether it's broadcasters themselves um, and or when players would be interviewed, and I paid attention to those. And by the way, those interviews back in the 80s and 90s, they were longer than they are now, where you, you only get about 30 seconds with the player and uh, they don't go into any depth. The, the interviews uh, in the intermissions back then were long. They'd be like five or seven minutes long. And so when you were interviewed, it gave you a really cool opportunity to really show uh, who you are and what you believe in and uh, a little bit of your uh, attitude and your character, your personality. Yeah. And uh, so I really paid attention to that, and I, I really feel like I worked hard at it. So luckily for me, uh, I did an interview in the 94-95 season. Uh, we were in Minnesota, and KTLA was one of our broadcast partners, a, a really uh, important station down in Southern California. And Stu Nahan was uh, a really popular sports broadcaster in the Southern California area, and he was uh, the broadcaster on that show. And I didn't play that night in Minnesota, but I did the intermission uh, broadcast with uh, Stu and J John Shan, his executive producer, Hockey Night at the Time, and Ron McLean were watching the game and the intermission. And they saw me, and they both sort of said at the same time that, wow, if we ever get a chance, we should invite Kelly on the show. And so that year, we ended up missing the playoffs by a point, and uh, we are in Chicago last game of the season. I get home the next day, and my wife says, hey, a guy by the name of John Sharon has called, and uh, he's with Hockey Night Canada, and I knew who John was. And uh, so he said he'd like you to call him. So I call him back, and he said, well, it's, uh, we're starting this brand-new atrium show out of the, the, the atrium in CBC for the playoffs, and we'd like to invite you to Toronto. Now, he did say I was their second choice, and luckily for me, the first choice is Wayne Gretzky, and he turned it down, so... That was my first real opportunity to get in on national television. I accepted the opportunity. I went to Toronto for two weeks, and uh, I worked uh, alternate nights. Ron and Don did their thing, and then I, Ron and I did our thing. Uh, like I said, we're on alternating nights, and so that was my first real exposure, and I did it for four years. Uh, whether my team made the playoffs or not or when we were eliminated, I'd go to Toronto as uh, still an NHL player. And so when I... When I decided to retire in 98, uh, I knew I had this opportunity with Hockey Night. So to answer your question, no, I didn't take any time off. I was able to go right from playing right into uh, a regular opportunity, regular job, full-time job with Hockey Night in Canada that fall. So there's a, there was a tough transition because although you're, the sport's the same, it's still hockey, but two entirely different jobs. And so I had you know a career path trying to learn that, but... It was so exciting, and, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't really miss playing the game anymore because I had hockey uh, broadcasting to sort of focus on and sink my teeth into. So it was, it was a really fun transition. And, and you had to retire the headband. 
and I re- not only did I retire the headband, I threw them all out. That's, uh, that's how that's how much I didn't like them. You should wear one on the show. <laughs> I, I have, and so has PJ Stock and others. You know, when I did in 2013, I was honored by the Kings uh, in the spe- you know one of these uh, things, Legends of uh, the Kings or something. I can't remember what it's called anymore, yeah. but. And they, as a gift to all the fans in the building, they uh, they made up twenty thousand headbands. So uh, I know PJ Stock kept one, and he wore it during an NHL playoff game one time, and all that. So we've had some fun with it. So, so one thing I caught out of that last story was you said that uh, the interviews were different back in the mid '80s, '90s compared to now, yeah. in 2020. One thing that hasn't changed is the Hockey Night in Canada shoulder t- shoulder towel. It would be an honor. If you could sign one and send it to the crew at Off the Hosel. <laughs> well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what. That is such a protected item. In fact, I don't have one. So <laughs> really? I find- yes, I'm, I'm being serious here. Those, those towels, uh, they were never marketed. They were never sold. Those were just made up exclusively for the guests on Hockey Night in Canada during those broadcasts. Or broadcasts. So... Uh, those are very unique. I know that the players, uh, for the most part, are, you know, they cherish those things, and there'd be some guys that would have a lot of them. I'm sure they've given some of them away, but that is not an easy product. As I said, I don't even have one, and I've been on the show for 20-some years. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I look at that towel now still whenever it's uh, thrown across the guy's shoulder and how it's uh, placed perfectly you know, yeah. with the logo facing the camera and everything. And uh, that is uh, that is something to really cherish. Wow! Yeah, you learn something new every day. Yeah. Well, I just want hey. to settle for a t-shirt slash headband. I guess use one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jay Kelly, this is perfect. Now, as we're gonna get torched online because this is a golf pod, uh, I want to throw in some golf chatter. You know, first off, y- you throw on a golf term every year, the Kelly Kelly Rudy and Friends Charity Golf Classic. Um, you know, fill, fill us in what it's about, what, how long it's been going on, and where can people, you know, donate and find it, and, and just, just talk yeah. about that for uh, a little bit here. Well, right now, because of uh, not only the pandemic, but the economy the last few years, it's been on hiatus. We, uh, in fact, uh, it was uh, about a year ago, we had conversation again uh, about starting it up again. Uh, we had it for three or four years. It was in Invermere at Copper Point which is a stunning golf course. And Brian Shaw is the general manager there, and he does an amazing job. And uh, we're so proud of the golf tournament. Uh, and we had a number of NHL people uh, come join us. We had uh, other celebrities from other walks of life, other uh, TV personalities. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a really cool event. And, uh, again, one time we'll start to fire that back up again because it was such a – uh, a great uh, time. It was a three-day tournament, and you know, just we did so many cool things in the Columbia Valley, and yeah. uh, the money at that point went to uh, Alberta Adolescent Recovery Center. Seventy-five percent of the money went to ARC, which is uh, uh, Adolescent Recovery Center for kids that have uh, alcohol and drug problems, uh, and then the other twenty-five percent went to two local charities in the Columbia Valley that also helped. Uh, youth programs uh, so that was the focus uh, i'm not sure what the focus will be when we come back again but i think uh, if you follow me on social media you might know that uh, mental health is uh, a big thing yep. for 
a discussion point, and so I kind of think we might go into that area because uh, awesome. uh, that's such an important thing in our family and uh, discussing it. So, uh, yeah, I hope we get the tournament back, but uh, nonetheless, um, golf is a big part of my life. My wife and I, man, I think it might have been about 10 or 12 years ago, we had played, I think, about... 60 times that summer it's in wow. september we go to a local restaurant we're sitting at the bar after playing that afternoon and can have a quick bite to eat and she goes she looks at me and she goes you know i could almost do this every single day of the summer <laughs> yeah <laughs> i might be the luckiest guy in the world and and i, I said to her, well we can make that happen and so <laughs> man i think it's been about i don't know seven or eight years now ballpark that we've been going out to predator ridge for the good part of every summer Oh, just outside Vernon, I know a lot of your listeners will know uh, they're aware of Predator. Oh, yeah. Well, we just had on the pro there from there, Kelly. Uh, two 18-hole courses, and so that's just a, a phenomenal place. I call it my happy place because when Don and I head out there, we uh, you know we golf almost every single day. Uh, maybe not as much as we used to because we're getting a little bit older and arthritis is sort of kicking in, especially with me and so on. But, uh, man, it's just a lifestyle that I just love. Well, that's funny you mentioned Predator Ridge. I don't know if you know him, but we just had on a, you know a buddy of mine that's uh, the pro actually at Predator Ridge, Troy Bomer. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Like it, it's just such a great place, right? And their their teaching facilities, and uh, you know, I, I you know I should be I should go to lessons more often. Right now, <laughs> my wife is really uh, getting a lot of the lessons, and uh, it's not that I don't need it, but I'm really excited to see how her game uh, is improving because we were, I don't know, it, it was like two years ago, and like I said, we we're playing a lot, but our games are really not improving, getting lousier. We we're becoming really frustrated with the game. And so it was at that point where we both started, you know, okay, if we're going to continue with this lifestyle, the game's got to be fun. So we're going to both start taking some lessons. And, and her game just took off. Like, I, I, you know, I post her scores every once in a while, and uh, it's 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 cool because you know for people our age, we're I'm almost sixty and my wife's a year younger than I am, and and she's she's making scores in the eighties at times, and that, mm-hmm. I mean to me that's just phenomenal. Um, and because uh, it's such a hard sport, as you know, I think what do they say? The numbers are something like only ten or fifteen percent of all people have ever broken. A hundred. Yeah. And so, you know, when we get out there, we're, we try and have fun, but we're a little bit competitive also. So you kind of answered my next question, Kelly, but I guess we can elaborate a little bit more. You're obviously playing a lot of golf at Predator Ridge. Um, where else are you playing and what would your handicap be? Okay. Well, uh, and, and how I'm many playing... rounds, I guess, sorry, I forgot to add that in there too. How many rounds yeah. average? Uh, I'd say average rounds of summer would be every year is a little bit different, but I guess ballpark say between 50 and 70. This okay. year we didn't because nice. of the pandemic and it was a little bit harder to get out and so on. But um, my handicap really fluctuates. I think, you know, for a lot of years I was ballpark around a, a nine handicap, eight or nine. And then I ended up having some uh, health issues, uh, a lot of back issues. And so I, I really skyrocketed. I, it was really hard for me to finish around, so I was ballpark around uh, a 20 or maybe a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, and then five, six years ago, I, I went in a bit of a on a bit of a run where I was pretty darn good again. So I would have been probably about a 
10 or so, but, but here's, here's the important thing, guys. So here's how my mind works. Like I, I can't, I can't put the two together. I can't put the physical and the mental together anymore. So right. You know, the game just gets me mentally. It gets me. I overwhelm myself with the, with the score and with the numbers. So three years ago, I think Don and I are playing at predator. We're on the, uh, on the, not only the, that the beautiful resort, but we're playing the harder course, the Predator uh, 18 instead of the Ridge, um, and we're playing with one of the pros, AJ Ethorn. She was she's a lovely person. She's a great player. She was on the LPAG, LPGA tour for a while, so we're playing with uh, AJ, and we're on the 18th hole. Don and I, by the way, we're having a fantastic round. Um, I'm at uh, standing on the 18th tee box. Uh, I have a I'm I've shot 74 at that point, so I'm thinking, wow, if I make par, which is a par 4, 18, if I make par, I tie my all-time best score of 78. Well, what, what happens, right? I'm on the tee box. I'm nervous. I, I'm trying to grind away. I want to, I'm so desperately need a 4, and I take a 10. I, I oh. drive the ball into the, into the uh, sand on the right. I take 3 to get out. I put one into the water before the 18th uh, green. It was just a total mess. And that, that's how my brain worked. And so we're talking to AJ after. She's like, why would you have done that? It's just a number, right? So why you, why would you look at your scorecard and, uh, after 17 and go, okay, it's important to get a four. Like, just play. And, you know, that's what I would have done on the ice, right? I, I just would have played. I wouldn't have thought about what the score was or, you know, what I need to do in the last three or four minutes. You just go out there and you focus and, and you, you play free and easy. And, and I can't do that in golf anymore. I, you know, I still to this day, even though she gave me that great advice, I'll go and I'll have a great, say, 12 holes. And then in my head, I'm like, okay, I, I can't be more than three over in the final holes. Otherwise, you know, you know I mess up my brain in my head. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. And it's so frustrating. Well, don't feel so bad, Kelly. Tiger shot a 10 in the Masters, so don't feel so bad. Oh my gosh! Right, and and there was that uh, DeChambeau, or was it no John Rom? And he had that one where he completely whiffed and yeah. it went about forty yards on the uh, out of bounds on the left. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, honey, come on over here! I got to show you these two <laughs> things. Like, you can't believe it. If if we're gonna have a terrible hole out of Predator, it's normal. That's right. All right, Keller, quickly before we go into our segment now, questions from the gallery. Um, you know, what is some advice that, you know, you as a professional athlete, now a professional broadcaster, uh, just some advice to a young listener today on what it, make, what it takes to make it in today, you know, in sports, life, business, whatever? Well, first of all, you have to be focused. And I don't mean focused where you don't enjoy the rest of life. I mean, you've got to have a really great balance. That was the one thing that Al Arbor Stress. It wasn't about your mind can't be on your chosen sports, uh, hockey, all the time. You've got to have an outside life, and you've got to have that balance. And so I, it really shocked me one time. Uh, we had a practice at the rink, and there's a day off, and Al said, he, he really surprised me. He came in the dressing room, and he goes, how many of you guys go into New York City? And, and I thought it was a trick question. I thought it was like, how dare we say we're young people and we want to go and experience Manhattan, right? Yeah. And uh, not many of us put up our hands. And he said, well, that's not enough. You guys have to start going into Manhattan and enjoying the nightlife. You've got to go to theater. You've got to experience some of the great restaurants they have there because 
you, then you, you then you have a full life. You can't just go home and think about hockey all the time. And and, and I was like, wow, that's really cool. And so uh, we did that. My wife and I would go into Manhattan, we'd uh, experience Broadway and and other things, and it was such a, a, a great lesson in life. I carried that over uh, definitely in L.A. because uh, there are so many cool things to do in Los Angeles and. Uh, it would be about once a month that I'd ask uh, Gretzky where the newest, coolest restaurant is in, in town, and we'd go there and uh, you know have a, just an incredible dining experience. And so that's my point to all the young uh, athletes out there: just make sure that you you put in the work, you you do the you know the the mind training and all that. Make sure that uh, you're well prepared, but also. Make sure that you have a life that you're, you're you're happy with and content with, because you can't just be have a singular focus. Absolutely. All right, Kelly. Off to our questions from the gallery segment, sponsored by Divots Indoor Golf. With the cold days coming in faster and faster in Saskatchewan, what better way to keep up your golf game than heading on down to Divots Indoor Golf, located on Rochdale Boulevard? They have so much to offer: great food, good people, beers always flowing, and a great place to golf. Divots Indoor Golf. All right. First question for you, Kelly. The mask. Scott Kalzicki asked, what was so ironic about the mask? Well, which one? Is he talking about the uh, the helmet and the cage that I wore for so many years? Yeah. Or, or most likely the Hollywood mask that I changed to that be, became sort of a, like a trademark of mine. I, I'm going to go with the Hollywood mask. So <laughs> let's talk about that one because I think that, is, that was my favorite mask that I had. Uh, and is uh, designed by Don Stros. He has armadillo uh, masks, and he's, he was just a great uh, artist. He still is, still stay in contact with Don. But when that summer when I was going from the old helmet and the birdcage to that style of mask, we had plenty of discussions about what design we wanted to have on it. And I recall thinking, man alive, I just love Mike Richter's uh, mask with the Rangers and the yeah. Statue of Liberty. Like, how iconic was that figure? And it was a very simple mask, but I thought it captured the spirit of uh, Manhattan and New York perfectly. And so when, of course, we made the easy transition from, okay, well, what what's symbolic of New York and the Statue of Liberty? Well, of course, it's the Hollywood sign in L.A. And so... I thought that uh, his design was beautiful. Like it's really intricate art. Although from afar, you can still tell what it is clearly, right? Like there's so many beautiful masks out there in today's game, but but it's hard to understand what the concept is because it's it's too it's too detailed in my opinion. You know, I, yeah. I love it. Like I see all these masks. I go to the morning skate. And I I'm in the dressing room. And I I'm blown away by the artwork, but. Some of them, I, I just can't understand what it means because it's, it's too detailed. And so I like the really simple ones, and uh, that's why I think that Don really captured that beautifully. So Tyson from our Facebook page wants to know, the better beard, Elliot Friedman or Joe Thornton? <laughs> I'm going to say that's a tie. And, and, you know, what most people don't know about Elliot is that once the season ends, and in a typical year, it's, uh, you know, ballpark around June 15th, he does that every single summer. So he grows that, uh, that great beard. Um, and uh, it was just this year, because of the pandemic, that people were able to see that behind the scenes. So uh, that's no stranger to Elliot. Uh, I love it. And I, I also love what he did during the playoffs this year when he decided to shave it off. He did it for charity. And uh, I could be off with the numbers, but I think he raised something like, 
$10,000 and gave it to uh, uh, a charity of his choice that's really dear to his heart. So not only did uh, he shape it, but he did the right thing. Awesome. Kelly, how many, uh, I was going through your hockey DB, I didn't see any, but how many goals did you score, and did you ever try to score? No, I, I never did. I, uh, I'm, I was always very proud of the way I, I could handle a puck, though. I thought I was at, uh, near the top. I, I didn't play as often as a guy like Ron Hextall and uh, uh, maybe Marty Brodeur and, and Carey Price early in his career, but it was, it was kind of by design. Um, Al Arbor, that's one thing he didn't like. He didn't like uh, guys going for, in particular, he didn't like a goalie going for an empty netter uh, at all because he, he thought that it was a, a dangerous play. And so that was sort of uh, a valid point. taught me early on, like, don't ever try it. Even with a two-goal lead, don't ever try and go for an empty netter. And, and I know when I was in L.A. and we had a different mindset and, and guys like Luke Robitaille and others would encourage me because of uh, my puck handling skills to go through the empty net. And I just couldn't do it. And, and I always had in the back of my mind, Al wouldn't like this. And so I had such respect for Al that I thought, you know, even though I think I might be able to attempt it at least, I don't know if I was going to score, but at least attempt it. And I just thought, no, Al wouldn't like that. And I can't do that. I can't disrespect his opinion. This is a common question we ask all our guests. Kelly Rudy, your ultimate golf foursome, dead, alive, past, present, rich, famous, golfer, non-golfer, who would it be? Uh, it would be Muhammad Ali because of what he went through in life and how he, uh, he challenged the system and uh, what he went through and uh, social injustice and all the things that he had to uh, uh, endure. Uh, I think he was a phenomenal human being and one we, I guess, could all still learn from. I think Sir Winston Churchill, because of uh, the same sort of thing, he's probably one of the greatest world leaders of our time and what he had to uh, uh, try and accomplish in his time of leadership. Uh, and, uh, oh, a third. You know what, and I'm not just saying it, uh, my wife. I, I mean, like, it's clear in, in this conversation. We play a ton together, and she's my greatest uh, uh, partner, not only in life, but in golf. And so I think the four of us would have had a great time. That's an awesome answer, but I gotta say, you are one of the first of our 50, 51 guests that have not said, and who am I gonna say, Kelly? Wayne Gretzky? Tiger Woods. <laughs> Close. <laughs> Tiger Woods has been in almost, I think, everyone's ultimate golf foursome. So good on you. You're, you're, see, you're a goalie. You're different than everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, yeah, listen, I'd love to have played with Tiger, but uh, I, I've been pretty fortunate. I played with some pretty cool people over the years. And so uh, when I'm really getting my wish list together, it's going to be, you know, different people that, uh, you know, I think had a, a chance to change the world. Absolutely. All right, and as Troy mentioned, another question we asked everyone that's played in the National Hockey League, and uh, maybe a tough question, but it is what it is. Who is the cheapest guy you played with? <laughs> the cheapest? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, you know, Where does it end? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I think personally, you know, if I were to turn that question around, that <laughs> might be um, th that might be the guy that I – 
I uh, respect the most because the goal in life isn't to make some money and blow it all before you die. The goal is to have a little bit of dough near the end so you can still have a good life. So there's a balance there. Like, you know, I, I remember every once in a while looking at one of my teammates and just blowing through the cash and you're like, I don't think that's a good idea. So there, you know, like I said, going to great dinners in LA, that was cool and everything, but there's gotta be a limit on what you do. And so I always had great respect for guys that, uh, that, uh, uh, save some of their money. And so they're living a pretty good life right now. So I'm, I'm pleading the fifth on that one. And I'm dodging <laughs> that question completely. How's that sound? Well, well, we respect that. We'll touch base when you're off air with Hawk Night in Canada <laughs> in the, in, in the future. <laughs> So I, I've got a selfish question. Did our cousin Joey ever score on you? Say that again. Did our cousin Joey Koser ever yeah, score of on course. you? Yeah, yeah, did, yeah. did he ever score on you? Well, let me just say this. I'm sure because I made a lot of guys rich. How's that? <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> there are a lot of guys that had multi-million dollar contracts because of the way that I stopped the puck. So I'm sure Joey scored on me. Um, I remember I was in, uh, oh my gosh, I think we were in Edmonton. We were in a, a pub after a game, and I don't know why we were in the same. Maybe maybe when he was with Detroit, they were playing the Oilers uh, the next night or something or, or what have you. But I was with L.A., and we were in a pub in Edmonton, and he had just gotten in a couple of fights. And I always respected Joey, by the way, for the way that he played. But he showed me his knuckles. And I'm sure you've seen them over the years. Mm-hmm. And that, that's just gruesome. Uh, I won't go into the details, but if you're a fighter in the National Hockey League, uh, in particular back in those days, um, and your knuckles, oh, my gosh, it's gruesome <laughs> to see their hand and their fist and, and everything. And uh, I was like, oh, my God. I, I would rather stop a million bucks without pads than, than uh, end up having hands like Joey and other guys for the those roles that they played. All right, Kelly, I, I got one more here for you, and then Troy, I think, has one more as well. Um, you know, for a guy like me, like I, I coach and I scout, and the, the game's changed so much. Um, the question is, thoughts on today's game from, you know, previous generations? Well, I think everything about today's game is skating and speed. So you can still find a way to compete on the ice uh, in, in a different sort of way, but... Uh, I am just absolutely blown away by the skating ability of everybody now. I think it's safe to say, like in the 80s or 70s and all that, you had probably two good skating defensemen, maybe three, but you probably had three or four defensemen that couldn't skate all that well. And, you know, you go back to the days when guys like Bossy and Lafleur and others that had that great speed on the wing, and they would just absolutely blow by a defenseman and, and get a shot from the top of the circle. Well, that never happens anymore, ever, because the defenseman can skate so well also. So nobody gets beat uh, outside. So that's the greatest thing. If, I, if, I'm, and if I'm a parent out there, I want my son or daughter to really excel at skating. And if you can skate, you're going to have a lot more fun and you're going to have more success at the game. Last question comes from Kyle off our Twitter page. It's a two-parter. Best round of golf and any hole-in-ones? Okay, so as I mentioned, I had shot uh, 77 or 78. Uh, I used to shoot uh, 
right in around 80, 81, almost every single round. And so that used to be my go-to. Now if I get into the 80s, uh, I'm pretty darn happy with myself. And hey, listen, when I, when I shoot around, I'm 95, I'm still happy. I don't really uh, care as much as I, it's the company I golf with. And yes, I do have one hole in one. Uh, and it, it happens to be a story that I love because I was playing with my father-in-law at Medicine Hat a number of years ago. And, uh, man, I was struggling that day. And I just I wasn't having a good round. I was really frustrated. We get to this par three, and, and uh, I, I snap hook a, I don't know what iron I was playing, and, and it was a terrible shot. But there happened to be a bit of a, a ravine there, or, or not a, a ravine, but it's sort of like a cliff or a hillside. And it was cut uh, pretty low, and so there wasn't much uh, vegetation on the hillside. I'm swearing, and I'm saying a whole bunch of bad things, and my father-in-law is like, no, hang on there, Kelly, wait a minute. Hang on, watch that. Keep your eye on it. And I'm, you know, I'm mad, and I'm still saying bad things, and all of a sudden I look up, and I see the ball coming off the hillside, and it's coming towards the green, and I'm like, holy, this might not turn out to be too bad. And he's like, wait a minute, watch this. And it starts making its way onto the green and tracking towards the hole. And lo and behold, it goes in the cup. So it might be the ugliest hole in one in the history of golf, but I do have one. So was that by chance that, at? Story to finish. Was that by that? was that by chance at Connaught? No, that was uh, Desert oh Bloom. My gosh. No, I've never played Desert Bloom. Boy, you guys know the courses. Redcliffe. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, what a memory that. Desert Bloom is, of course, I've got to play. I've heard great things about it. Uh, but, yeah, I played Connaught, Medicine Hat, great courses. And, uh, oh, my gosh. I, I, as you know, I just love golf, and I love sharing stories about golf. It's just a big part of my life. Well, Kelly, this has been awesome today. Uh, we appreciate you taking so much time to uh, talk to uh, two pigeons over here from Saskia. So um, <laughs> thanks again, and we hope that we can do this again down the road here, maybe um, maybe over, over a beverage uh, in person one day here. I like that, and that's what we'll do because, I, as you know, we are normally scheduled to do this a little bit later. And uh, one of the great things I've uh, enjoyed during this, uh, these strange times, uh, the pandemic, is I've said no. I haven't said no to anybody. I've done uh, all these uh, calls across the country. I, in fact, I did a, a Zoom meeting one time from a guy from a hockey fan in, from Australia. And uh, so really cool. And normally I do have a nice cold beer, but it's too early in the day, so I'm going to have to have one later <laughs> to, <laughs> to think about you guys and a great time we had today. Really appreciate it, Kelly. Yeah, thanks so much. Take care. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, uh, and please invite me back on again, guys. Merry Christmas. Okay, same to you. Take care. Listen up, fellas. 2020 sucked. It's almost the new year, which means new balls with our sponsor, Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels and helping over 2 million men get rid of the hair on their nuts. It's also time to freshen up down there this new year. The Crop Preserver is an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits, don't you? So why aren't you putting deodorant on the smelliest part of your body? And for on-the-go freshness, you'll love the Crop Reviver Ball Toner Spray. Visit manscaped.com, use the promo code HOZZLE20 to get 20% off plus free shipping on all your orders. Manscaped.com. And as I said off the top of the show, it's 51, but it's not episode 50. 
halfway to 100 milestone another great episode and i think that's quite fitting for episode 50 to have on the iconic kelly rudy yeah he was great yeah really glad he joined the show again you just said it best halfway to 100 and we get a rock star guest like that rocking the hollywood mask uh yeah great guest yeah it was a lot of fun with him you know i think he had a lot of stories just from you know playing the medicine hat tiger for three years um, you know, playing in L.A., finish up in San Jose, playing for the Islanders. Like, he played with some great players, played a long time, and also just a great broadcaster, too. And he, he's done great things and obviously a huge advocate for helping people out. And ripping up shirts. Yeah, for headbands. Headbands. Different, different yeah, shirts, headbands. Um, yeah, so basically this week now, before we get going here, power rankings. Okay, end of the show here. Keep listening. We need power rankings. Send them in. We got the bottom 10 already out. These next 15 people could fluctuate. Yeah, and it's interesting to see the uh, comments on our social media networks channels of uh, who should have been in and who is in and why and who sucks and who's better. And ah, this is malarkey. But uh, <laughs> keep the list coming in so we can uh, read some more of your friendly banter. Yeah, don't hate the play. Hate the game. Flava, Flav. Right. It's the people's choice. So uh, other than that... I got nothing much more. I know we have two more good guests to drop in the next coming weeks here. Paul Waldo, friend of the Riders, former rider, former Argonaut, right? Alouette? Alouette. Alouette, sorry, two-time Great Cup champion. He'll be on the show sooner than later. So other than that, Troy, as always, have a great birthday on Thursday. Thank big you. 4-0. Yeah, old balls. Get Cherish some, it. Get me some manscape. <laughs> Perfect. Stay All right. warm, brother. All right, bro, take care. As always, see ya. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, have a great Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Come on down to Divots Indoor Golf. It's freezing outside. See ya. Power rankings. Don't hate the play. Hate the game. Peace.